Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I am thrilled to welcome Nicolas Leiravello as my guest. Nicolas is the founder of White Stag Investing, but also a head of research at the Ocean Assets Institute, an asset raiser for Oxygen, and an ESG research analyst. In our discussion, we will focus on the underlying link between all these activities, sustainable investing, with, of course, a special focus on the water industry. Nicolas will explain to us how finance could unlock something in the water sector and help it to grow and get better, and how the four layers of the water industry might be appealing to different investor profiles in isolation or as a portfolio. He'll tell us why we probably shouldn't be afraid of significant investment funds entering the water landscape, and in the same time, how there is still a long way to go for the sector to be valued as it should. You'll hear me repeat during the conversation that this is not investment advice, but you shall definitely invest in this week's episode, which is full of golden nuggets. Nicola addresses the market listing of water futures, the ideal balance between conservatism and entrepreneurial mindset, finance as a catalyst for change, how investment is pretty similar to engineering, or the path to product market fit. We will be taking off in a second, but I have to ask you for a little hand in spreading the word right before. Please, if you do like this podcast, Tell your friends, share this episode with at least two people. The more, the better. And if there's anything you don't like about the show or a topic you'd like us to cover, just drop me a word, ideally on LinkedIn. Do it, share it, we'll meet on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water. The podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. So hi, Nicola. Welcome to the show. Hi, Antoine. Thank you for inviting me. Let's start, like the usual, with a postcard. And actually, your postcard comes from a place which is close to my heart. You're in Zurich right now. So what can you tell us, Crispy, about uh, Zurich? Well, it's close to my heart, too. I've been here for 10 years. I mean, there's so much things to do here. It's uh, very lively and uh, you can go to nature, you can go in the city for culture, you can go wherever. Uh, in terms of crispiness, lately with the COVID, it was not best. But uh, we had four different types of weather since yesterday, so I guess that's, this is as crispy as it gets now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't want to populate the cliche that uh, only financial and banking people are living in Zurich, but somehow... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, all finance people live in Zurich, but all not people in Zurich are in finance. This is kind of, uh, <laughs> this kind of a casualty, you know? Actually, I was looking at your path. Yeah. And um, your path, if you allow me, uh, the, this image starts with the perfect picture one would make from someone working in finance. And then apparently something weird happened to you and you got interested in weird topics like sustainability, environment, water. Can you guide us through your steps? Uh, is that really weird? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, I've uh, started my career in finance. I've been working 10 years 
in really deep high finance, uh, doing investment analysis, risk analysis, portfolio analysis. So really um, telling people how to invest, you know. And after, uh, after a long time in that, you know, like in my last job, I was just looking at the, the screen and with, you know, markets, everything was going left and right. And I was like, yeah, I could not really sense what was the use of all of this, you know, like just trying to make money here and then, then. And, uh, yeah, I decided to leave my job and go on a different path. And, uh, since then, since three years, I've, um, kind of followed passion and sustainability. So especially more in water. And I've tried to check or see or what can I, how can I apply my finance skills and my passion for nature together and, and try to come up with something with that, you know. How does that translate business-wide? What, what do you do today? Uh, so, so the way I started is like, actually, I started to look at the SDGs as a roadmap, you know, and um, I tried to understand what is like the common denominator in all SDGs, you know, what is the... Sustainable Development Goals. Yeah, just so, to... so, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, that's like the roadmap from the UN to to see which kind of like the big development challenge the world is facing, you know. And I was trying to find like on a common denominator, like how can you have as much impact to all these challenges and where could finance be the most useful, you know. So where could I apply my financial skills at best, you know. And for me, you know, after looking at this, it kind of became pretty clear that it, w it would be water, you know, because... First, for example, uh, education. I mean, that's a great development challenge. It would be great if you have more of that. But from a finance perspective, it's not like you can just pour money in it that then we're going to have people educated. You know, that's a big political uh, process, like educational process that I don't think finance can help a lot. Whereas water, I felt that by looking at all the investment that if we can show the value that you can bring there, then it could, it could unlock something, you know, and then suddenly you have all the resources of the finance world could go to the water sector and somehow help it grow or get better, you know. <laughs> so finance is a vector to a mission. Somehow you aim at the impact, but you convince people that also investing in water might be something which is good regardless of the impact it might have. Yeah, I mean... Uh... For me, it really falls on a spectrum, you know, like uh, in sustainable investing, we have like traditional finance on one side and you have philanthropy on the other side, you know, so whether you only care about money or whether you only care about impact. Actually, now everything is, is kind of mixed up somewhere in between, you know, so some investors prefer to look directly at once like traditional performance with some sort of impact and the other way around, so... For me, I, I kind of see that as different tools uh, I can use and apply and see uh, how I can help the different investors access the team, so how to go into water and kind of use these resources there. So you would get some uh, performance, financial performance, you would get some impact on its own, and somehow the, the resources would get uh, redirected in the right direction. I have a really an outsider question here. What is an investment research firm? Basically, I provide intel to investors. So let's say you have 10 billion francs. You need a good reason to invest in something, right? So that's kind of where I come in. I said, okay, you want to go in the water sector? I'm going to provide an analysis of all the challenges, all the risks, all the opportunities, all the trends, all the factors, what you should care about, what you should be careful about. And then I'm going to dive in in each every investment and make a case, you know, of why you should put your money there and not you. So, um, yeah, it's really providing basically research for them to justify why 
they would invest in that. So one could have guessed that uh, that's going to be our deep dive today. We're going to be focusing on this uh, investing in water. And um, the cool thing for me is that I can finally say that sentence, you know, that you hear in podcasts that you see um, in uh, every LinkedIn post you do. It's just uh, a disclaimer on the bottom. So for once, I can do that. I can tell that sentence. So this is not investment advice. It's not an offer or solicitation to buy any financial services or financial instruments. And now that I've told that, I feel you know, like I, <laughs> I have feel better you know? about that. <laughs> <laughs> like all the reasons, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a kind of noise uh, last December around the water now being trading in Wall Street. Yeah. And, you know, the water sector is not full of financial professionals. And all of a sudden we were in, in the spot and thinking, hey, what we do is now traded in the world's biggest stock exchange. But what does that actually really mean? Actually, water is not traded per se on Wall Street. What is traded is its future price. So that's the difference of a, between a spot and a future price. It's actually like pretty much all commodities and uh, other precious metals. It's not like you can go to a bank and buy a 10,000 barrels of oil, you know, but you can buy a delivery of 10,000 barrels of oil in six months or in 12 months or in 24 months. So that if you need oil for your business in this time frame you're gonna get it you know so that's you pay the delivery in this horizon for the price of today so it's gonna be the same for water actually so but instead of a we call like a physical delivery it's gonna be a cash delivery so you just get the money to buy the water at this time in the future it sounds a bit like a, an insurance definitely 100 percent. i mean uh i could give you an example for example it could be a Let's say you take uh, like a microbrewery in uh, California, right? These guys need water to craft their IPAs. But uh, with the droughts going on, they might not be sure to get this kind of water, you know? So in the following years. So what they can do is can they actually go to the, the exchanges and get a, a water delivery contract. So they actually they buy the water today to be delivered in two years. So they actually know that they're going to have the money to buy the water they need in two years. So it's really like an insurance that provides business stability, you know. That's a positive way to look at it. I was reading an article this morning uh, published by the University of Miami. They were arguing against considering water as a commodity because if the prices of oil really go above the roof, then you can invest a bit more in, uh, in exploration and dig out more oil to solve that, whereas water is a finite resource. What we could also be discussing because... Um, yeah, you could also invest in desalination, bring more water inside the cycle. But if you look at, at it with a positive eye, it gives insurance and safety on the long run. If you look at it with a negative eye, it might be a door open to speculation or really from an outsider perspective, what I'm, what I'm saying might be making zero sense. So please correct me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, I think it's, uh, it's definitely a justified fear, you know. Because, I mean, that's what we've been seeing into uh, food uh, commodities, you know, like uh, soybeans or cafes that attracted speculators. And, uh, and the price would just go up and down and up, and then it just completely changes livelihoods in, uh, in the countries producing it, you know. So I think it's a valid concern. I mean, I, I kind of looked at into these water futures and the way they kind of structured it. It's going to be the, um, the average price of different sources of water, you know. And this somehow makes it a bit more robust. And also that water is also, the price of water is usually regulated. So it's not like you can 
there's going to be some economic flows and economic selling, you know. So I think and this can provide some boundaries on this on this tool, or actually avoid the worst part of speculation. Actually, you mentioned that the price of, of water is regulated. And um, I read your various uh, publications on the matter. Just to be clear, you, you are investing in the sector, not in water itself. Yes, that was my, exactly. my, my introduction to lure you in. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk of, of the sector. And this uh, regulation of the prices, you mentioned it as something which might be frightening investors because there's no big profit to make in a regulated industry. But on the other hand, you also mentioned that that brings this stability. It's always going to be resilient. Is that the first reason to invest in the, in the sector? Mm, I mean, it really, it all depends what kind of investor you are. You know, if you're looking at just making a lot of money in a very little time, then you probably not, should not go there, you know. But if you're a pension fund that needs to invest the savings and the retirement money of pretty much a one in a million person, then it makes sense to go into a market or an investment where the fluctuation of the price is pretty low because that provides stability to your investment, you know. And a lot of insurance and pension funds actually need that because they do some what we call an asset liability management. So they forecast in the next 50 years how much money they need to pay to everyone. And the more stability and the less volatility you have in, in those income streams, the more security you have to make sure that you pay those guys, you know. So that's quite attractive for big investors. I like the way that you picture the water sector with these four layers. I'm going to paraphrase you, so stop me if you want to do it better. Uh, <laughs> but the, the bedrock is really the utility. There's the industry, the IT, and the, the healthcare. Here we are talking of the utility level. Yeah. So wh what you're saying is that this is ideal if you're a conservative investor, for structural reasons, does that mean that the optimal investment is a mix of all, all of those or is really different kind of investors' profiles? Or? Um, I think it really depends. I mean, it really depends what kind of investor you are, you know. People think uh, usually just banks or just uh, pension funds, they're just one type of investor, but it's more usually it's more like an ecosystem, you know. You have investors that are interested in long, really long-term money, Uh, investors that want cash flows now. The way I kind of see it, uh, what's making it really interesting for me is that, as you correctly said, the water sector is defined across these four, uh, I would say, financial sectors. So industrial, providing the hardware, IT, providing the software, utilities, providing the servicing of the system, and healthcare, pro providing the treatment. And this makes it really interesting from a financial perspective because all these businesses, they're all different businesses, you know, they drive on different economic currents, they drive on different economic needs. So their cash flow and their um, revenues and their profitability is going to some, be somewhat different. From a portfolio, financial portfolio perspective, this is interesting because suddenly you tap in four different type of businesses with their own income streams, you know, and then you can create somehow a, financial portfolio that is robust because if some for example one an economic storm is arriving once then at least you have the three others that are still standing so you lose less money so again with, with this mixed uh, mixed way to look at things positive yeah <laughs> yeah it means that when you see a news which says that 2.2 billion people will be facing water scarcity yeah what you see is also that business is is here to stay because uh, we need water for those people yes I mean, uh, 
I mean, at the end of the day, it is a strategy, you know, because you're going to have a lot of uh, people that are going to be facing poverty, you know. But at the same time, you need a solution, right? And you need to try to frame that in a positive way to try to gathering momentum in this solution, you know, to make something happen. So, and I think that's the um, power of finance, you know, because as soon as people start seeing value into something, stuff happen and things change. That also draws on the difference between prices and value. If you talk to people in the street and you ask, ask them what's the, the price of water, they're going to tell you it's too expensive, uh, we should not pay for it, uh, come on, uh, water is, is nature, why do you have to pay for nature? And on the other end, there's no life without water, so the value goes to the roof. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, I think we could spend an entire day talking about this. It's such a... It's almost a philosophical question, you know. The big thing I would say about this is um, one problem I think we're seeing in the water sector is that that's something I read about the water valuation, you know. It needs to be low enough to make sure everyone can access it and it stays in human rights, but it needs to be high enough to make sure we don't waste it, you know. We make sure we, we make as many drop counts. So that creates a, a big, big economic conundrum you know at the end of the we think i think we we're going to face an economic reality that water is going to be a challenge you know you need to find solutions to keep the the social and uh, spiritual value of water but you need also to make sure that it goes where it's needed so i think it's, it's a really tough uh, challenge <laughs> so that's the bedrock really the utilities here to stay and uh, we will always need water. If we go now one step up in that pyramid, we have the, the industry. Here, I get as well that uh, probably if you need water on the utility level, you need people to deliver the pieces for that water. But now the, I mean, the, the pieces of pipe, the pieces of, of treatment processes and so far and so on. But here, you could see bigger growth. I mean, I had, for instance, on the say, microphone, Gilad Yogev from Fluence talking about MABR. MABR is a process which was not existing 10 years ago. Nowadays, it's booming. So if you're an industrial investing in a MABR worldwide, you're going to experience growth. But on the other end, that process is replacing another process. So if you're the supplier of that other process, your financial risk is much higher because you can get disrupted. 100%. I mean, uh, I think that's the reality of any market or any business, you know. And that's how I think innov innovation is driven across any industry. If you're water uh, water investors and you want to try to stay invested in the in the top performing industries, then you need you need to stay active. You know, it's not like you can just buy these companies and and go on the beach for 20 years. You somehow need to make sure that those companies are still good business. They're still performing well. They're still delivering the client uh, what, what the client needs. So you need to some sort of follow up because I mean, if you invest in a company and in five years they change direction, it change board direction, then it's not the same company anymore, you know. When you say investing in the company, do you mean, how can I, can I figure that? Is it really, you love that company and you invest in that company, or is it really part of a portfolio and you're investing a bit in all of those? Again, it really depends uh, what kind of investor you are. Like, I mean, if you're a retail investor, like, it could be that you just love this company, you invest in it. If you're uh, a more institutional investors, you want to... If we talk the, the example of the institutionals again, you know, 
So those are pension funds that need to make sure they have a stable stream of income coming for the next 100 years because they need to pay the retirement of everyone. For example, they need to make sure that in 50 years, they have at least 20 years of stable income. So suddenly this becomes a problem for now, you know. And my whole point is that, I mean, water companies, I think they're going to be the the companies dealing with all the problems of climate change. They're going to need to adapt the system, the infrastructure, uh, make the revamp the system, coming with new innovation, new growth potential. That's a whole ecosystem dynamic. You know, I'm talking about the big picture together, you know, and uh, this somehow make it an asset for society, you know, because the water sector, the water industry is going to be the guys that's going to fix that. So I think that's precious and. The way the industry is structured makes it actually a long, a perfect long-term investment. If you're catching my uh, my drift, <laughs> you mentioned the way the the industry is structured. Actually, that was something that surprised me in what you put together. Is that you see this fragmentation of the market as an asset, and it's true that if there's an industry which is fragmented, uh, our water industry surely is that industry. It's the, the typical example. I mean, the world leader, Veolia, has. 3% market share. And I think that the second one, Suez, has 2%. So it's like, to us, those guys are giants, but compared to the market, they are dwarfs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's a good thing, you know, because you have other markets where you have an oligarchy, you know, you have three guys that decide everything. I mean, that creates a lot of problems on its own. Uh, for a finance guy, it means less leverage, you know, because they can do whatever they want. They're going to get the money anyway. This means also less diversification, you know. I mean, if you invest across the entire water sector, this is more like 150, 200 companies. If when one goes bust, then it's not the end of the world, you know. If you have three companies and if one goes bust, that's a big problem. So, yeah, I see that as definitely as um, as resilience for the industry. It's an interesting way to look at it. It makes sense. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you, you mentioned also the need for innovation. And... Um, I would expect from a fragmented market to be very innovative because competition should be kind of really, really strong. And so pushing the market forward. I would expect that too. <laughs> but if I believe my, my personal experience and, and actually all the people that were at that same microphone shared that comment at some point in the interview, we are really working in a conservative industry. How can you have this dichotomy between competition that should be pushing us to do better and on the other end we really stay with what we know for 20 years 30 years that's an excellent question you know um my guess is that as i wrote my article today is that i mean water is a is basically a basic need service you know so it's not like you can be very experimental with your innovation so i think for right reasons you're going to have processes that make sure that Quality is unsure that, and safety is unsure that whatever the cost is, at least in my, uh, from what I've seen from a finance perspective, I don't know what's your, um, what's your more engineer view on that. And um, the other aspect I've seen talking with other uh, water investors, it's actually the same problem with, I think, other utilities and actually with pension funds in the, in the investment world is that utilities and pensions they're kind of governed by older generations that are not i would say the most savvy or the most 
willing for change, you know, and this can be some sort of a barrier to more innovation. And then when, when the new generation of new young guy comes in, they want to make a change. They want to implement their own things, their own tools, and that can be a driver for innovation. So we are too serious as an industry to be innovative. You can put it that way. <laughs> Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's true that, I mean, it leaves a lot of imagination to even picture a disruption of the water sector. I mean, I didn't stumble personally upon the Uber of water treatment. It might come one day, but I'm not sure if it's only a generational topic because it's an easy explanation. I get it. And it makes absolutely sense. But sometimes I give you my example, which I'll... Yeah, please do. <laughs> When I was in engineering school, I never thought of disrupting anything. To me, uh, I learned how to do it, how to do it the good way. And I was just, um, I was taught how to apply it. And it was never put inside my, my mindset. You know, again, we are serious. We are, you know, being innovative and crazy. That's the thing for people working in IT or finance, probably. Uh, <laughs> we are dealing with nature. We have to be humble. So um, let's be uh, conservative. I think that's a great philosophy, you know. I think in finance, probably the opposite, like we learn how to, uh, <laughs> to be disruptive to, uh, it's really like, uh, you know, like pool, you try, uh, when you play pool, you go a big shot in the beginning, explode everything and see what you can make out of that, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, you, you asked me a uh, good questions through email before, like, um, uh, saying, the, um, the recent interest of, uh, big private equity players in the water industry, like Argen or Meridian. And I think that could be some sort of catalyst for innovation. You know, those guys, they invest in basically in the social utilities of the world. So that's like renewable energy, that's like roads, that's like airports, so basically any kind of service humanity needs. And I mean, if they see, if they start getting interested in it, that's minus value for them, you know. And usually when they come somewhere, they come with the money and the determinations to upgrade and change stuff, you know. So that could be another catalyst of how things could change and we could see some sort of improvement in the industry. Again, that's a very positive way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I try to keep them around. <laughs> well, I have to be the, the devil's advocate today. So uh, Please do. there's another way to look at those big funds coming into water, which is, you know, water, if you don't touch it, it's a cash cow. You just operate what's working. You keep it running at the bare minimum and the day uh, the asset is really really in a poor shape you expect the state to take it back and to repair it i'm not being really really negative yeah, that's, um... if you look i mean all, all these argian meridian topics uh, came along the um, possible merger between suez and veolia yeah, and that was a, a, a big fear from the employees of, of those big groups to say hey if we go into finance you know finance the devil Probably that means that we are going to cut the costs, be less innovative, and uh, and really try to milk out the companies as much as possible. I don't think. I mean, I'm going to be the the angel advocate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what's uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it really depends the kind of investor, you know. Like my opinion on on Arden, for example, those guys are really long term investors their long-term infrastructure they they need their things to work in the next 50 100 years you know so they're going to put sustainability i mean the real concept of sustainability like make sure that everything is runs for the long term at the heart of their investment strategy and their innovation 
thing. So it's not like they're gonna. You have you have hedge funds. That's the only things they do. They come somewhere, they see a weak prey, try to kill it and extract as much money what is what is possible. That's my opinion. What is being done with uh, Danon at the moment? I don't know if you follow that story, but um, obviously it's. Uh, I mean, you think it's obviously a concern, you know, because it's a change in paradigm. But I think then you can you can try to find some sort of compromise between a private and public solution, you know. At the one hand, you need the conservatism to keep people employed and keep the safety. And on the other hand, you need some sort of entrepreneurial spirit to make sure that you need the necessary innovation to stay on the top of uh, quality. You know? We mentioned Ardian and Meridiam. There's a third fund, which is in the news lately, which is Equity. They bought um, Innovise in 2017 for $240 million dollars i think at the time and they just sold it to um autodesk yeah for, I saw that for one billion yeah. four years later so you multiply it by four in four years sounds like you know uh here we're not speaking of uh, a good father's investment you know over 20 years but like a really um interesting it's a crazy return on investment when you think of it yeah it's a good uh i mean you know that's If you look at that from a evolution, innovative perspective, those guys saw an opportunity. They saw a technology with potential. They financed it. They pushed it. And now it's been adapted by a big company. So somehow the innovation was integrated. And for that, they they basically got paid five times the, the money, you know. So um, again, that's my kind of my perspective of how finance can be a catalyst for change. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of people uh, making money out of it. But if at the end of the day you get an upgraded water system, it might be a, might be a good thing, you know? A win-win. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings us in, a, in the third layer of your pyramid. Because here we are into IT with Innovise, but also probably um, there are much other examples than Innovise. And um, what you're describing here with EQT sounds almost like venture capital it is it 100% is you know i mean i've uh, i've screened the venture capital space in water you have uh, i mean i've seen around 20 funds that they do only that they try to be a really catalyst it's i mean the investment strategy for ventures is totally different than from uh, for pension funds so if you're a private equity you're looking at for 15 20 companies you try to map out the innovation process in a given industry You see where are the big the big bottlenecks, and you try to come up, see what kind of solutions can fix those bottlenecks. Then you make a portfolio of these 20 companies, and all of them actually they don't they usually expect like one or two to to be successful. So they're actually going to be paid by just one being successful, and the, all the rest they just lose the money. So even if they make five times the money, they probably lost half of it by trying other crazy ideas that. Uh, engineers were pretty happy to try to to implement, you know? <laughs> so at which stage do we speak of investment here? Is it, um, I mean, venture capital could be, uh, you, you find a guy with a, with a cool idea and, and you fund him. So it really at seed level. That, that's even before, you know, that's like pre-seed. Okay. So there are funds that have a cooperation program with universities. They go talking with all the young engineers or not, even not, they're not even engineers yet and, uh, and try to see what kind of ideas or crazy solution they have. And if they find one that is good, they're going to give it some money to try it out. 
But I mean, that's the model we know with famous dropouts from school with uh, like Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, it's that's that's that permanent question I have, and which I've been raising many times uh, at that microphone. It's uh, is hypergrowth something which is possible within the the water industry? Because for sure, there are software as a service companies. They are really cool things, cool companies, cool concepts, really aiming at at disrupting and solving bottlenecks, like like you just said. But on the other end, it's a it's still that conservative market. And yeah, I guess uh, you know I was playing the devil advocate against finance here, but I think when I'm doing that, it's a popular opinion within the water industry. We see finance more as an enemy rather than as an ally, which it should be, I guess. And I think you you show it. I think I'm still, that's why I'm trying to show as well, you know. I mean, look, there's a, there's valid reason for people to be not trustworthy of finance. I mean, with what happened in the last um, great financial crisis, I mean... I mean, so many things went wrong. Maybe we could spend two hours talking about this, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, like the economy and finance is really, again, an ecosystem of different type of people, you know. So, and all they can, they can have the usefulness into the innovation process, you know. So you can have venture capital that are just, they can either care about the technology and to be the, the guy that solve how to create uh, salt water to fresh water without energy or that kind of stuff and be the biggest guy in the room. It can be a guy that wants to just make a lot of money. So that would be the, the venture kind of archetype of people, you know. But just putting the money into that, it catalyzes an idea and make it uh, somewhat a reality, you know, and that provides dynamism, economic dynamism to the system that creates growth and innovation. On the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have uh, institutional investors which have trillions to invest and they want stability. And there they're going to make pools of uh, money by investing in the big uh, big water companies at uh, the very top level, like uh, the industrials, the utilities. And this is going to be a, a big part of the financing as well. How can I envision your role? I mean, you are similar people doing the same same thing than you do. Is it like being an intermediate between the, those people with... Uh, with the technology and the people with the money or the people with the ideas and the people with the market or what, what's your mission? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good question. At the end of the day, you can see me as an engineer as well, you know, an investment engineer or like an economic engineer. So there's a client comes, a uh, venturist, he wants, that has been, I don't know, investing in, uh, in food and now he wants to do in water. He wants to invest at the very beginning of the innovation process or the, like the, the value chain. So we see those seeds and I would help him like, okay, what's, what are the key solutions, which I think could be the game changers in all the, the bottlenecks of the industry. And then I would help him to create a portfolio of this. And then this could be, he could be successful uh, at financing one and maybe losing 10. So that's, I, I'm helping him designing this portfolio construction. That's what I can amend when I'm, when I'm an engineer. It could be a uh, pension funds that wants to invest 5%, which still represent billions on choosing the best water funds or the best water stocks to make sure that the, the allocation of different companies is as stable as possible, you know? So that's kind of where I come in. The reason why I'm asking is that you mentioned this uh, engineering aspect, and if you look at the water industry, wherever you are aiming at, it's engineers. I mean, sales guys are engineers, marketing guys are engineers, and that has lots of pros, I guess, because... Um, it means at many stages of, of the pyramid, we have people understanding the matter of water. 
It also comes with the cons. You see uh, marketing campaigns build around uh, nice features like uh, my pumping capabilities when probably you shall tell a story instead. And I guess I'll give you an, another personal example here. I, I remember one of the first projects I was working on, we lost it. So it was tender phase, everything. We lost it. And I was discussing with, uh, with another engineer which was working on, on the project. And the guy was sincerely asking me, you know, how could we lose? We had the best process. So the best wins, the best shall always win. And actually, no, uh, the market decided to go somewhere else. And if you don't understand the market, then your chances to reach product market fit, to use the big names, that, that doesn't exist. And I would see that as something coming in the way of potential water startups, because they, they might have awesome technology. But if nobody wants it, then... <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the the classical. Uh, you can have a perfect solution, but if you have don't, and not any problems to use it, then it's pretty useless, you know. And uh, it's interesting you're mentioning that because I, I read an article recently that exactly everyone in the water industry is pretty much engineers, and that's kind of restrained the cap the cognitive diversity of how people think. You know, like we're having these conversations and we have totally different way of seeing things. You know. And I believe through our interaction, we can somehow come in the middle ground and trying to find something new, you know. So I'm also a big believer in that kind of trying to group different kind of people together and see what they can come up with together. I wonder if sometimes people even try to come with fully disruptive idea. Uh, let's take a very stupid analogy, like uh, incredibly stupid, and I'm already sorry for that. Oh, uh, you see the hotels. There are hotels everywhere. Yeah. So it's a fully fragmented market. And then you have a, a booking who comes and says, hey, I do a platform. You no longer have to book a room because you do everything through my platform. They take a big chunk of the market. I mean, that story is before COVID, but, uh, but let's say uh, <laughs> we're still before COVID. And I'm, I'm wondering why nobody, for instance, ever tried in the water industry to say, hey, it's highly fragmented. You could be doing everything. What if you didn't care at all and you come to uh, bookmywatertreatment.com and I take the, um, this big chunk. I mean, it's a stupid example, but just to say, sometimes we're a bit doomed to come with, with faster horses instead of coming with a car. I mean, did you try to do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, to be honest, I'm not as specialized as a, in water treatment uh, yet as, as you are. So um, my first opinion on this would be, I think there's more uh, regulations and barriers in the water industry than there is in, in the hotel industry. So that's also some uh, hurdles to innovation. <laughs> you mentioned regulation. It's an interesting one because you see regulation as an opportunity. For instance, uh, the US regulating the PFAS is an opportunity. Whereas again, from my negative point of view, <laughs> uh, regulation uh, is something which really comes in the way of liberal investment and sounds like, you know, two opposites. Um yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, that for every risk, you have an opportunity on the other side. So as we discussed uh, before that, I mean, the regulation on the price of water can be bad for speculators because they're not making enough money. But it's actually a good thing for institutional investors that want stability in their performance, you know. Here on PFAS, that's going to be a problem for a lot of industrials because suddenly they have to, <laughs> to take, care the, take care of their water treatment, you know. But for the people that design the the membranes that's gonna do that, that's gonna be that's a good news, you know. So again, if you keep an ecosystem market ecosystem perspective, 
always things are changing and moving and then you have new players coming in and trying to basically they make their own business model their own um, growth innovation and that kind of things so yeah i mean that's kind of my point like if a business or company lose somewhere then you have a new company that is disrupting those things and, and winning somewhere else you know so now i'm going to change side and i'm with you now. sure <laughs> <laughs> i'm happy to turn the table <laughs> we've seen that um there's um, a steady potential and booming potential. Uh, water is a topic which is here to stay. There's water scarcity, lots of wastewater. I mean, four-fifths of, of the wastewater today is not treated. So there's something to do here. We see that big funds come in, make crazy return on investment because um, there is also that new IT, IT scene. I had um, uh, the Elemental Accelerator on, on that microphone. We were discussing about um, those startups and bringing them to, to, to the next step. And they have a, a churn rate, which is below 10%. So really, it's not investing in, in, in 20 companies to have one that succeeds and, and 19 that die out. It turns out that in the water sector, you can invest in 20 companies and have 18 that go to the next level, maybe not to become Booking or Uber or Facebook, but still, which are profitable, which, uh, which reach profitability. So why don't all investors turn to the water sector and bomb it with, with money? Because that's the best investment there was, there will be in I think they just don't know about it yet. I mean, that's kind of why I started my business. You know, I wanted to show that there's so much things to be done here and there's so much finance can do and there's so much opportunities. So uh, basically my job is trying to show that, you know, by writing this article, by coming to you and talking about this, by trying to, to see things under a new light and a new perspective. Then I try to share that with other investors and somehow things can move forward, you know, and somehow the resources of the the finance can come to, to the water industry. On a huddle note, I would say that you also have to take into account that global equity markets are just going up all the time now. I mean, the thing is just crazy, just, just one big spike. So if you're a short-term investor, it's a heaven for you now. So you don't really need a reason to go anywhere else. Then it comes about... A lot of different topics in the economy about central banking, liquidity, and everything that is happening to support the economy at the moment. So, and that's also one of my points that, I mean, this kind of short term market momentum we are seeing at the moment, I don't think that's going to last forever, you know, because it's such, it's so based on price inflation, on the valuation. I think a bit less on, um, on the profitability of the underlying investment. But my point is that if you go into the water industry with all this potential, then this some sort of this potential can become an insurance and a guarantee of something that is away from the markets, you know. And that's interesting for investors because if you just hooked on the markets, then you can if, if it falls, you're gonna fall with it. But if you somewhere else, if thirty percent of your portfolio is in water companies, then the market goes down and Obviously, the water industry is going to, if everything tanked, the water industry is going to tank as well, I think, you know. But somehow it's a bit differentiated. So that's kind of the approach I try to convey. Well, I think a good example of that is what happened with COVID. I'm pretty sure that the water industry was at least stable over the time. It didn't disappear. I mean, people were still drinking water, still flushing the toilet. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, in terms of protection, utilities can, their prices didn't, I mean, we're quite robust, you're quite resilient, you know, they don't drop as much as the as the as other investments. So that's this is some sort of protection for investors. On the industrial side, 
I saw that some contract got delays, but I mean, they all pretty much on initials, they kind of revised their uh, forward guidance, you know, how, what's going to happen in their, in their sales book for next year. But um, so far, I think it's I think things are, are gathering momentum again. So short-term investors don't yet need water because they have other playgrounds. How would you define the long-term? What is long-term in, in terms of finance? Is it two years? Is it 20 years? One century? That's a good question. You know, like uh, for me, uh, long-term is really 20 years and plus. Five, you can even say five or 10, you know. But again, using the, the analogy of uh, institutional investors or insurance, you know, those guys, they base their whole entire investment strategy on the next hundred years, you know. I, I don't know about all of them. Some have, may have different different time horizon. But again, if you're a pension and you need to, to pay the retirement money of someone in 50 years, then you need to make sure that you're going to have this money, you know. And suddenly this, pro this becomes a problem for today. So you need to make the right decision today. That's what I would qualify as a, as a long-term investor. So it's still not uh, investment advice, but uh, yeah. <laughs> if you have <laughs> one, one thing that people uh, underlook when they look at the water sector as financial investors, what is the thing that they don't catch? For me, the, I think for me, the most exciting thing is a nature-based solution. You know, how like you can use the power of nature to find different aspects. I saw, for example, last year that uh, the Central Arkansas Utility issued a green bond and used the proceeds to buy the surrounding forest around these utilities, you know. So that would preserve the, uh, the natural filtration process of water and protect its water from urban development, you know. So I think that makes a lot of business sense, a strategic sense, you know. And that's pretty cheap and less costly because you don't have to create an entire infrastructure to clean the water because you just save the nature. So I think uh, everything in that direction, like wetlands or like uh, sponge cities, that's pretty, that's pretty exciting. Sponge cities. It's a pity that you, you, you use that, that keyword now because it's one hour. But yeah, that's a note to myself. One day I have to schedule that one hour about sponge cities. Cool. Uh, I think it's, it's a pretty exciting topic. And What's the perception of your peers? I mean, now people coming from, from the financial world, when you come and you say, hey, have a look here. It's interesting for green reason, for, for meaningful reason, probably, but also for financial reason. Are you seen as an outsider or is it really something which is also moving in that field? That's a very interesting question. People see it more and more seriously. Like I got some friends or other people there pure finance guidance and start listening a lot, you know. So I, they definitely see the interest and the, and the value in that. I was discussing, uh, preparing uh, for, I hope, a future interview with uh, with Jeremy Thomas of LinkedIn. If you're listening to this, uh, hi, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to have a look at what uh, what he's publishing, he has a hashtag on LinkedIn, which is Let's Talk Water. And, um, is it, uh, it's French as well, no? He is partly French. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and when we were discussing that, he was waiting for startup accelerators, venture capitalists uh, enter the, the water topic in Europe. He was seeing that in the US and he was expecting it to come in Europe. And finally, it, it turns out that um, that starts to bubble out. So 
finally, his prediction is becoming true. So uh, startup studio accelerators are created in Europe. So usually we are the laggards compared to the US. But there's also something interesting, which you, you, uh, you, you quoted as well, which is that the water sector comes usually some years after the energy sector. Like if you want to see our future, we have a look at the energy sector and we see what's coming to the water sector. Do I understand it right here? So if, if I'm looking at the energy sector in the US, I see the long-term future of the water sector in Europe. I didn't really frame it like this, but it's, yeah, I would say so. I mean, um, you know, it's the same uh, idea that, you know, we had we had so much discussion around climate change and um and air carbon emissions and uh, rising temperatures, but the environmental problems go much deeper than just energy. The what kind of energy you're using in air or or heat pollution, if you want to say. And uh, I think water and biodiversity and oceans are the next in line, you know, because I think the the big environmental problems encompass all of this. You know, that's the whole how humans have integrated the nature in society. You know, and yeah, I think people started with energy and for me it makes a lot of sense that water is the next you know because it just just the next thing and how much is this let's call it futurology important yeah. for, <laughs> for what you do if you you see the future you know how to invest i really see that as economic currents you know like um how things are moving forward i, I cannot see the future i'm not uh, a psychic you know come on but i <laughs> no, no, i believe so you know but i see things going in a certain direction so you try to catch those currents and see where it goes. And I think that's that's kind of how I see finance, you know? Like, I mean, a lot of people are investing, and this is a bit of an old mentality, like you invest, try to protect your money. So you kind of try to, it's like putting your money under your bed, you know? But uh, if something bad happens to your bed, then you lose your money, you know? It's not like money is safe somewhere. And that's the big problem we're seeing in finance at the moment. My approach to it is like, if you see econom- the economy and all these trends as economic currents, suddenly you can design your investment portfolio in a different way, such like a ship, you know, that's kind of flow on these different currents. So you might not know where it goes, but at least you stay above water, you know. So for me, it's a different way of investing by trying to stay uh, to stay on the top and not trying to hide in, in gold or in, in bitcoins or that kind of stuff. And it's an alternative because a lot of pensions now are seeing a lot of issues because, I mean, I don't want to spend another hour talking about <laughs> markets. Uh, you probably have something else to do, but I think that's one of the main issues uh, we're seeing in finance is that so many pensions have liability to the pensioners in 50 years. They've been investing in uh, in credits or bonds since the, the dawn of time. And now those those bonds, especially the Swiss bonds, they yield negative yield. So you actually pay the person to lend him money, you know? So my my idea is I come and said, look, you can actually invest in water, you know, because this is going to be a growing sector in the next century. So I'm trying to provide alternatives for these kind of investors. Basically, you put money within your beds or in gold or in Bitcoin or in bonds if you don't trust any other means to bring you that money back with benefits. So somehow we're... We're doing the same job here. We are trying to evangelize people that they better understand the the water sector. And if they better understand it, then probably they invest in it. 100%. Hey, see, 
we brought finance and environmental green-minded people together. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and hopefully we can we we took something good out of it, you know. <laughs> so, actually, you, you mentioned Bitcoin, and again, it's not investment advice, and I don't want me to, to invest in Bitcoin because I can, uh, I can send I can send you my disclaimer if you want to read it. <laughs> no, but I, I saw from your from your path that you you are also working in in blockchain and blockchain into um, carbon sequestration. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a young startup I'm supporting here in Switzerland, and I think they're doing something fantastic. So what they're doing exactly is, you know, when you have uh, reforestation, conservation or preservation efforts in nature, so that could be like uh, preserving a forest, that can be reconstructing a forest, that can be a marine protected area, that can be any side of natural park, you know. These nature sanctuaries or zones, they have their own carbon sequestration potency. You know? So this, these lands, these natural capitals, have a capacity to absorb carbon. And if you can measure it, and if you can monetize it, then you can sell it to uh, big companies that want to offset their emissions, you know? So what I find fantastic in that is that suddenly you create a financial link between natural conservation and global markets or global companies. Suddenly you have global companies that have strategic interest to preserve nature because it's offset the, their uh, emission. They can be the good guys that increase their repetition capital. So that creates like an, a stream, you know, like a river or an income stream directly to the natural conservation in the long term. And since now this has value for these companies, they have an interest in preserving it and not destroying it, you know. So um, if this forest has value to a company uh, to keep it alive because it's reduce its carbon budget, then it's, it's going to make everything it needs to, to make sure that it stays alive, you know? So um, that's something I'm pretty excited about, trying to how we can realize the value of nature into the markets and use the market forces to protect it. There would be so much here to, uh, <laughs> to uncover and <laughs> to dig into it, but uh, yeah, I can come for a season three if you want. <laughs> no, I, I take it down because actually, That's a, a fascinating topic that we could be uh, spending very easily another hour uh, on, on that. But finally, um, finance can do good. Blockchain can do good. Hey, turns out uh, we, we learn things every day. <laughs> you, know, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I see finance as a, as a tool. It's like a hammer. I mean, you can use a hammer to, to nail down an, uh, a screw or to break someone's head, you know? <laughs> so at the end of the day, it's what you do with that. I think that makes a... A good conclusion for season two. <laughs> I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. Yeah, please. It's time for the rapid fire questions. I'll try to keep the questions short and uh, I'd be happy. I'll to try make... to keep the, the answer short too. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm <laughs> always the one which makes it longer than it should. Um, Maybe we can challenge on that. <laughs> <laughs> What is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Um, for me, it definitely has to be with um, the Asian Development Bank. And it's the LC Ocean Action Plan to finance the, the sustainable transition of the, of the ocean in the Asia Pacific. So basically, we had a project of we mapped out the entire blue economy. So it's similar to the water sector. We have, you have different sectors like wind, uh, aquaculture, aquaculture. 
we looked at all the problems, we looked at all the solutions, and we came up with uh, with a portfolio of solutions. What are the best thing to fix to make sure that it works afterwards? So the the bank has had five billion, and it was like, how can you make the most impact with that? And that's what we did. So that was pretty cool. Again, I have to refrain myself because it, 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what's the yeah. favorite part of your current job? Uh, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, everything. I mean, I woke up in the morning. I'm excited. I know, the whole day passed like this. Uh, I want to go everywhere. I wanted to do everything, and all my energy is spent on this. And at at night, I, I just I just collapse. Usually on my couch, you know. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I think it has to be something precise. Is try to come up uh, with a new way of seeing things, a new a new solution to fix a problem. Pretty much as we've been thinking about this uh, for the past hour. I'm very excited about the next one because you're a close observer of the market. What is the trend to watch out for in the water industry? Uh, like the trend. Uh, I'm going to say something you don't like. It's I think it's nature-based solution is sponge cities. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I think it's for me, it makes so much sense. You know, like uh, you can have a tech solution with a natural solution together, and it makes so much economic sense. And it makes so much ecological sense that having these sorts of, of natural integrated solution, I think that's where I would go. That's where I'm going to go to. <laughs> okay, so for the one listening here, uh, take it, yeah. take a note. Sponge Cities is definitely <laughs> we're going to cover in in the very future. It's not investment advice, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> what is the thing you, you care about the most when you're working on a new project? And what is the one you care the least? I'd say the first is quality. You know, Again, I see myself a bit as an engineer. Uh, and every project is kind of like a boat. you know. And I need this boat to make sure that it's robust, that it can be tested in the water. So it, it should not have no holes. It needs to be... It doesn't have to be perfect. You, know? you don't have to scratch all the all the parts, but it needs to float, you know, and um, that's something I find great pride in my work. If I can design a project or an investment process or, or some, whatever that can run as far as it can without my help, then I, I see that as a success, you know, because I don't need to come back and fix it. And what's the one you care the least? I don't know. So people always struggle to, to answer that one. And usually when they answer something, they answer uh, money. They don't care about money. But if you do that and you don't care about money, I guess for you, it's a, it's a professional fault. Uh, I mean, you need uh, money to live, you know, as much as you need water to live. I mean, money in the sense when they work on the project, one of the usual answer I get is uh, we don't look at how much it costs because it's going to bring so much. We better in invest the right amount and uh, we're going to be paid off. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that because, I mean, at least for me as an economic guy, money is, is part of my design, you know? So you cannot just be wasteful with money. You need to find a solution that is workable and that is efficient in terms of reward to the amount of spent, you know? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, if I could redirect the questions, something that bothers me, a lot in my work is dealing with HR, for example. As I'm an independent consultant, I can come to a, to a bank to help uh, help it with this process. Usually, then I'm on, I'm not on their book, you know, I'm not on their uh, on their things. And whenever I need to deal with the, the everything, I have to deal with HR, and it's always a mess. <laughs> so, 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have sources to recommend to keep up with the water and wastewater market trends? Um, for me, I get everything from LinkedIn, you know, like uh, it's been my main source of, uh, of everything since three years. Like, uh, and I really like to get to stay up to date by talking to people as much as I'm talking with you right now, you know? So for me, I would say, yeah, to go on LinkedIn and connect as with many people as possible and have as many good discussion. Because I think that's how you get uh, an authentic feeling of what is going on in this industry, you know. Talking of these many people, would you have someone to recommend me to invite on that microphone? I would recommend um, Michael Stanley Gallisdorfer. You know him? Yeah. I think you are. Uh, <laughs> he's on my watch list. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. You know what? Because it's also, we also talked about sponsor cities. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really having great discussion with him on uh, on LinkedIn. I really like the way he thinks, and uh, he's really inter- I think he's doing good things. So he wants to do good, good things in the Great Lakes in the in North America. And I see him also talking about really new solutions, like using oysters for water filtration, all that kind of things. You know. So if you want to explore that. Uh, That's that pass. Maybe talk to him. <laughs> and I've seen you debating with him over curves, AC, yeah, DC curves. That's great. <laughs> I think we could spend hours talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, to send you, you know, the warmest regards of people that might have discovered a new way to, to look at the water market with you. Where can I redirect them? To your LinkedIn, to your website? Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, you can uh, follow me on LinkedIn. I don't have a subscribe button. I see, yeah, I do actually. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I always make this joke with my girlfriend. Um, no, but on my LinkedIn, that's why I'm the most active and uh, on my website as well. So whitestaginvesting.com. So maybe my, my last question, which uh, could have been my first question as well. Why Whitestag? Uh, there's many reasons, you know, like um, they're an extremely resilient species. Their numbers have gone down very well, are very down in the U.S., Uh, since the urbanization, but somehow they they were able to adapt, and you, you can see them a lot in the na- in the neighborhood, uh, in uh, in uh, suburban areas. So it's a species that just go forward and try to adapt to whatever circumstances is uh, ahead of them. Which is an interesting analogy to what you do. I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, <laughs> so Nicolas. It's been a a pleasure. Likewise, thanks for inviting me. That was really. Uh... Interesting call. I think we have to. Yeah. We now have to do a sequel episode. But sure. <laughs> you know where. <laughs> That's you good. know where I am. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time. <laughs>